0: Hey, sipping studiers. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. So today, we are going through and continuing to go through the, the letter or the book, which is the letter to the Hebrews. This is our second lesson. We're doing chapter two this week. Okay, chapter two, verses one through 18. It's the entire chapter. It's not a huge chapter, but this is bringing many sons to glory, and there's a lot going on. I We, we tried to have this last week. We were getting things set up. It ended up being probably for the best that it didn't happen, mainly because we had all sorts of stuff that was crazy going on. We had technical difficulties galore. Like I'd hit stream and it would run like five to 10 frames. And then all of a sudden it would lock out and every frame after that would drop and it was missing and gone. So anybody who does streaming or knows video stuff, that is what we consider Niche Keats—that That is bad. <laughs> so we were not able to stream, but it's good because I've been doing a lot of studying, getting some college classes ready to teach at the college in Karachi, which some of that started blending because this is actually, they, they coincide. They work together really well. And this gave me some time to kind of balance out how much of that information do we really want to discuss here? Because that's, it's a lot. This is going to be a really, really good lesson. Hope you guys are ready for this. It is going to be a really, really good lesson going through on this one. So it's Hebrews chapter two, bringing many sons to glory. All right, Hebrews chapter two through the English Standard Version. Here we go. Therefore, and, and just remember, pause really fast whenever we see a therefore. So I would encourage you open your Bibles and and take a glance back. If you can't remember from two weeks ago, Hebrews chapter one. Whenever you see a therefore, you want to go and look and see what it's there for. So therefore, we must pay much closer attention. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere: One is man that you are mindful of Him, or the Son of Man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, so this breaks down into three basic categories. First of all, we see verses 1 to 4, do not neglect salvation, 5 to 9, made lower than angels, and then 10 to 18, we see bringing many sons to glory. So let's dig into this, shall we? Verse 1, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, therefore, again, like we said when we started reading this, when we see a therefore, it's really good practice to go back and see what it's there for. And really, this is just all of chapter 1, therefore. You know, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the old ways. He's greater than the other entities in the spirit realm, right? He's greater than all of them. So, we should focus on and pay attention to Jesus, and follow Jesus. Jesus is greater than the rest. So why would we go back? Why would we go to a lesser creature, right? A lesser entity when we have Jesus? Or why would we go and, and try to give other sacrifices and go through these other sacrifices? Because this is written to Jews, right? This is written to Jewish people who have become Christians. So why would we go and we make sacrifices again? When the perfect and spotless lamb was sacrificed already, he did that for us so we don't have to anymore. Why go back, right? So this is that therefore, because of all of these things that we've spoken about so far, which was chapter one, Jesus being greater than the angels and coming and doing this, pay closer attention to this. Now notice that it's pay closer attention. This isn't pay close attention. They're already paying attention and they're already paying close attention and they're focusing and saying, well, wait a minute we're we're seeing some some weird things. We're seeing some odd things kind of creeping into the church a little bit. it's It's a fairly new thing, And they're starting to see things blend. And they're probably seeing some pagan ideas that are starting to come in. They're seeing some of the Gentiles come in and intermingle. And it's one of those well, this is not good. You know, we look at history. and when we've brought in pagans and Gentiles, and we've done allowed some of that stuff to happen, God's not happy and bad things tend to happen. So this, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. So my point on that is their thinking logically is really easy for us to, hindsight 2020, right? It's really easy for us to look back 2,000 years and sit here and go, man, they just, how could they not see it? Well, if you put yourself back, 2000 years and their shoes, how could they see it? They're, it is 100% a step out and a leap of faith. And for this group who didn't see Jesus, and that's part of the reason why Jesus was saying, hey, blessed are those who believe and don't see. Remember that when we were going through John? Right? It's a big thing. Well, it's a big thing because the Jews have gone through time and time and time and time again where they fell short, where they their, their country and their people started to drift away and start doing different things, and they get conquered. Bad things happen. And if we're going to be real here, if you're looking at this through Jewish eyes, they expected the Messiah to be a military ruler to kick out Rome. This letter, remember last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, so remember the last lesson, this was written right before, most likely right, right before Nero uses the fire of Rome to start killing Christians. The Jews are still under Roman rule. This Messiah, Jesus, didn't do what the Jews expected him to do. And so it really is, if they're talking to other Jews who did not accept Jesus, why would you believe in this Messiah? He didn't do what, what the Messiah is supposed to do. We're still in bondage. We're still under the Romans. And the the temple is about to be destroyed again. It gets destroyed in 70 AD. Again, they don't know that. But I'm sure there's talk of things happening. I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff. There's There's things leading up to it. They're aware of situations getting bad. And so this is one of those, it's real easy for us to say, man, how could you not just hold on to that? How could you not just see it and go with it? But realistically, if we were in their shoes, their thought process makes a lot of sense. It really does. It makes a lot of sense. Are we doing it right Is this really what God wants? Because he's had us doing all of this stuff before for for forever and ever, like as far back as we can remember. This is how we were supposed to do things. And now all of a sudden, the Messiah comes and it's done away with? And now we're just love one another and help one another? And But what about... What about taking care of our sins? Don't worry about the sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice, right? So it's, it's just one of those things that there's a lot of change that happened basically overnight. So they're they're just trying to wrestle with it. How are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And so the author of Hebrews is writing saying, Don't don't worry about that. Don't don't worry about going back to this. The the message from the angels, which we're gonna get it to, right? The message that came from the angels was, was good and it's true. And therefore, the message that came from Jesus is even greater and and more true. So we pay closer attention to that, right? It's not a, you're not paying attention. This is a pay closer attention to Jesus rather than the old ways, okay? Rather than going back to what we knew before, focus that attention that you're using, that energy that you're using on attention, focus that to Jesus and the gospel instead of the ways of old. It's really easy for us to try to go back, just like it is for them, was for them. It's really easy for us. Now, two to four. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. So this kind of pulls from Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33, verse two. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran, he came from the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Now this flaming fire, this, this is one of those, if you look in through the Hebrew, it's, was it really flaming fire at his right hand? And then you also look at that the translation that goes from the Hebrew into the Septuagint going into the Greek, which by the way, remember the author here pulls exclusively from the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint shows Again, and when you do that, and you transition to the right hand, and I'm making a point on the right hand because this is one of those. Mm, is is the fire that's being discussed the law, the fiery law, which is what some some believe, or is it a description of the holy ones? And it could actually be both. It could be either one. And and the word here for fire actually is only in the scriptures here. This is the only word, this is the only time that this is in this word here is in the scriptures. And it's not a real common word throughout the Greek either. And so they they, it's one of those some some translations will say it's like a, a thunder of lightning or it's a big bolt of lightning. And some will say, which falls to the Greeks, right? Hey, when you talk about the most high and you're in, in a polytheistic group, especially like the Greeks, Zeus. And so the, the bolt of lightning makes sense for that that most high Zeus mentality, right? but it's a fiery, we, we get that mindset and that understanding that this is a fiery. If we look at the actual Septuagint writing here it, of Deuteronomy, and it's important, I know this is really weird, we're studying one verse, we look at another verse as a reference, why are we studying that verse? Because it's important to understand the mindset of what's being said here, okay, what the author is pulling in, right? So, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, okay, so this, the angels here in the Hebrew source, we actually see that the holy ones are quotas, which gets translated into Greek as angelos, which is angels, okay? But holy ones, this is holy ones. Angel actually just means messenger, right? It's just It just means messenger. It's a job description more than it is a description of an entity. In fact, when we go through the Hebrew, we'll see a lot of the times we'll see these as Elohim, which I'm sure you are aware if you've been studying for any length of time, Elohim is also a name for God. It just means divine spirit creature, right? Something that lives in the spirit realm. So the fire word, again, only shows up in this one spot here in Scripture in Deuteronomy. That's it. But it does have a Persian root. And it's either taken, again, as that fiery law, or as I actually think when I read through this and I'm looking through the actual languages, it seems to be a description of the actual holy ones, a description of the angels themselves being Seraph or seraphim, okay. Seraph, the Hebrew here, seraph, which means to burn. If you are familiar with the different, we're, we're told of a couple different types of angels, right? We know of the the seraphim and the cherub. Okay, the seraphim were the ones that were bright and like fiery. They shone like fire, and they had six wings, or they have six wings. I shouldn't talk to them like the past. They have six wings, two for flying, two to cover their face because they couldn't look at God. They're glowing think Moses goes, talks to God, comes down the mountain, and he's physically glowing. Being in the presence and the radiance of God, it shines off. They're covering their face, and they appear like burning fire, glowing, because they're surrounded by the glory and the radiance of God. So they're two wings covering their face, two wings covering their feet, two for flying, right? Okay, that's the seraphim, okay? So this actually seems like talking about the law, potentially, this word coming down from God coming out of this group of 10,000. 10,000 just means myriad. The word is myriad, which is a number. It means 10,000. It's usually a reference to more than we can count, a gigantic multitude. Now he's saying, if the law declared by angels, now declared through God, through the angels declared, right, the the understanding is you can't be in the presence of God. You can't directly get it from God himself. If God is in his pure God-form, you can't be there. You can't be in the presence. You can't withstand that. Even the seraphim, to be in his presence, and they're the ones around his throne with him, worshiping with him, they're covering their faces. Okay, So we can't stand to be just directly in the presence of God. And so he's saying with this understanding and this reality, it comes from the angels. And so if the law that comes from the angels is good okay, and reliable, yet yet still from this law and so he's talking about the the law like the law of Moses the 10 commandments right we're talking about this if that law is good but disobedience and or failure receives its just retribution then surely the greater salvation because salvation through Jesus is a greater salvation it's not something that you work for it's not something that you earn it's not something that you do with these other things it has been done it is a once and always done and finished act. It is a greater salvation. The Jews would have to go and once a year make a great sacrifice. And they would then also send, there would be a casting lots over the goats, and one would go to sacrifice to God, and the other one was the scapegoat. That's where we get the scapegoat, where the rest of the, like it was symbolically sent off into the wilderness or the desert to Azazel. Long story there. Anyway, lots of interesting stuff but this is this is what i'm saying is this is a greater salvation it is a once and always done instead of having to maintain these rites and these rituals it's done and finished so if that's good we can't ignore it we must not ignore it for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution how shall we escape if we neglect Such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus declares it himself, right? Jesus declared it himself. He proclaimed this. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So those who heard, Jesus then sent out disciples, right? The first group of disciples he sent out was 70 or 72, 70 disciples out. And then at the very end, he sends out the 12 and he appoints them. He says, go out and make disciples among the nations, right? He sent his disciples and apostles to went and share. Now, the interesting thing here is us. Now, we discussed this last time. The author of Hebrews appears to not have gotten this message directly from Jesus himself. This appears to be somebody who accepted Jesus along the way, okay? Because of this us. And it was attested to us by those who heard. The author was not around. It wasn't around Jesus when it happened. So the author is proclaiming something that he has accepted by faith and has moved forward with, okay? Take a look at Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the author has accepted and has taken that message from the apostles and has grown with it. He's grown with it and is now encouraging those to stay with this as well. Now, God did wonders through Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit distributed the gifts of the Spirit accordingly for those signs and wonders to continue. I fully believe that these are continuing today. The gifts did not just end with the apostles. It wasn't for a one day only. It wasn't like... Early days, just so that we can get people to understand, God is a God of of miracles and wonders, and He does things, and He's always done things. We go through the Scriptures; He's He had done things, He has done things from the very beginning. Why would that just stop? It just doesn't even make logical sense. Why that would just stop? It just really, really does not. Let's take a look at First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses eight to ten. For the one is given. Through the Spirit, capital S, through the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. and To another, the interpretation of tongues. So the whole point is that these gifts all come from the spirit of God, right? They all come from the same source, the same God, but we all get these gifts so that we can go and we work as a body. We are meant to work together. It's not a one person. That was the thing. When Jesus came, Jesus was perfect, right? He was He's God, right? God in human form. And so he came and he was perfect and everything was great there, but then God works through his imperfect people. And so he gives us different gifts so that we work together and he works through us together to make things happen. God likes to use his people. He likes to use his creations. He likes to use, why else would he use angels, right? He likes to use his spiritual creations and he likes to use his human physical creations. He likes to use, didn't just create just so that they're there and say, look, I I did stuff. me. He he likes to use and utilize his creations and work with them and through them. Hey, Sippin' Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that He has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. You can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. Still five to eight. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Let's pause here for a second. World to come. This is not... The, the author here is not saying... God didn't make the world for angels. I think that's obvious. They're spirit, right? They're spirit creatures. They're not corporeal. They don't have physical bodies. They can, but they don't normally. They can appear in physical form. They They can have that body, right? They're a different type of creation than we are. We have these physical bodies. Now, when we die, we're spirit. And then God's going to make us with the new perfect bodies, right? Which we see through Jesus is different. Right. There's there's a blending of the spirit elements with the the physical elements, and it is a completely different type of body. So it's really kind of a cool thing, also a gigantic other topic. But God didn't make the world for the angels because they don't need it. They don't need it. We need it in this form, right? So God created the world for that. That's not what this is a reference of. See, for for Jewish people, the world to come was a common reference for the finished works of God. The new world, the new world, the new world to come. When God's creation is finished, everything is done. That's the new world, or that is the world to come. And so this was a common Jewish phrasing. So as he's writing to the Jews, they understand this. We need a little clarification, okay? We need to know. God, uh, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. God didn't make and is not making the finished world and not making the new world for the angels. He's making it for man. He says, of which we're speaking, saying, we're talking about eternal life here. We're talking about the forever after, not just today. We're talking things to come. It has been testified somewhere. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I know there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. So we're going to stop for a second. Now, let's just for a moment take a step back. God created the world. And as we just discussed, God created the world for for men and women, for people, and for animals. The physical creation, because, the, again, the angels, they they don't need it, right? They didn't need it. They're spirit creatures. They're, they're with him already. And so for the physical realm, God wanted us, he wanted that, and so he made it for us and for the rest of creation, right? The rest of the physical realm. Now, God created Eden. Now, it's really, really easy. If you ask most people, who know the Bible a little bit, at least, right? They're, they're Christians or at least have a, a fundamental understanding of that. Eden was a physical place. But if you also ask more, most people was all of the original created earth perfect and basically Eden. I think most of us have a tendency to just say, yeah, it makes sense. God created and he created it perfectly perfectly. But then why did he want us to go and take dominion over the rest of the earth? Why did he want us to go out and and to do all these things and, and to do that? And so Eden was a place, and God wanted us to go out and take dominion and go over and spread that Eden over the rest of the world, okay? But then sin came, and God pulled Eden back, okay? And so it was, it's just this whole long process. But if we look here in verse 6, Through eight verses six through eight, the author here starts pulling and starts quoting, and he's pulling from Psalm eight. Now, when he says, Man, what is man that you are mindful of? And man is a sign of the fragility, right? Being fragile. We're not necessarily fragile. Men and women aren't necessarily fragile creatures. Now, you put us up up against a, a bear, and we're fragile, a whale, and we're fragile. That's small. Put us up to compared to a star. Put us up but compared to all of creation. We're tiny. As human beings, we're tiny. So we, we really are quite fragile creatures. You know, it's really easy to think we're not fragile. We're tough. We can we can handle this. We can go through some stuff. But compared to all of creation, we're, we're pretty fragile creatures. So saying, what is man? Talking about the fragility of man. That you are mindful of him. We're, 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 but... Oh, well, I guess we'll quote the song. We're but dusts in the wind, right? So, you know what? What is it that you're mindful of him or the Son of Man? Now, Son of Man here is a reference to Jesus. This, what are the Son of Man that you care for him? Because Jesus, the Man, was born of a woman. Obviously, we're all born of a woman, right? So, but what is the Son of Man even? Because man is so fragile. But then you still came in the form of a man. But why? Why did you care so much about people and care so much about that one person being born? You made him, meaning Jesus. This is really one of those really complicated topics. The Son of God came down in the form of Jesus, but Jesus was still born. The Holy Spirit created in the womb of Mary Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, was then born. So the Son of God came down to be the son of man was made lower than the angels okay when we when we look at the spiritual hierarchy we have yahweh we have god and then down below that if you go through the scriptures you'll actually see sons of god and then if you go down below that you actually then get to angelos or angels okay angels are just messengers they're different ones go i don't want to go huge into this because there's a lot to it but there there was a divine council or is a divine council And the divine council tends to be referred to as the sons of God. I know last time I said, if you go through the scriptures, I meant Old Testament. If you go through the Old Testament and you see sons of God, it was a description of angels. That's just a kind of a carte blanche, just blanket statement, okay? It means spiritual creatures. Because if we're talking in general terms, most people would say angels and demons are pretty much the same thing. You have the fallen versus the not fallen, and angel means good, demon means bad. If you ask most people, that's kind of the description you're going to get, okay? Angel is a good spirit creature. Demon is a bad spirit creature. (laughs) If they they go a little bit deeper, it might be demons are fallen spirit creatures. There's a whole lot more to this, right? There really is a whole lot more to this. So I kind of throw that out there last time as as a blanket statement. Old Testament, sons of God means angels, right? Okay. It it actually means a different class of angels, a different hierarchy of angels, but that's okay. I'm just trying to let you know, we have God, we had sons of God, and we have angels, the messengers, that class, right? This class of angels. Then we go out and do things. And so Jesus, Yahweh, this God, not son of God, God. And that's why it's really difficult and really kind of trippy when we say, well, yeah, he's the son, but he's not a son of God like that. It's different. Okay. He is God made himself lower than not just the sons of God, not just the angels, down into mankind. Okay, completely different. And then we see, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then when he ascends back up, he takes mankind with him. And if you look in the New Testament, sons of God, how, how are we described in the New Testament? Sons of God. We are described, the church believers are described as sons of God. It's a complete reversal. We take the position. And that's why we're told that if whatever we loose here on earth is loosed in heaven, whatever we taught here on earth is taught here as in heaven, right? If we tighten things up, we make things more controlling, it's more controlling. If we loose things, it's more loose. It's because we have replaced that position and a whole lot of stuff. Like there's classes upon classes that we can teach on on why some of this is and how this goes. But we have then moved into a greater position. And now the angels are below man, the, the, below the church. Not all man, but they're below the church, the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Okay, so they made Jesus, the, God made Jesus lower than the angels, lowered him down. But then we get into 7B here. You have crowned him with glory and honor. The death, but then the resurrection and the ascension. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Everything, everything. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 3a. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? That's in the scriptures. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Again, courses and classes we could teach on this. After the resurrection, Jesus transitioned mankind, specifically the church, the body of Christ, into that sons of God position, making us greater than angels. And when we say everything, okay, putting everything in subjection under his feet, under Jesus' feet, means everything. All of creation, both the spirit realm and the physical realm, all of it, all of creation is under subjection of Jesus. Jesus is over all. And this really echoes Genesis one twenty eight, And God blessed them. And God said to them, them being Adam and Eve, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Remember what we talked about earlier when we said made the world, right? God made the world, made it for man and woman to go and when we talked about Eden, Eden was a spot, but he wanted its, Wanted mankind to go over the entire earth and make Eden all over the entire earth with that. Go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, of the heavens, of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All, everything, this echoes that, but greater than that. It was more than that. It was including, and it, for Jesus, includes the entire spirit realm. All of this. Jesus is the embodiment of not only God, but also what being perfectly human looks like. But then we say, now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Nothing. Everything is in control of Jesus. Nothing is outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything In subjection to him. See, God's plan is to spread through all of humanity and to reach all peoples. When Jesus sent the disciples, he said, Go and spread the word to all, right? All the last of the people, reach all peoples. God's plan is not yet fulfilled. This is temporary, though. This is temporary. It will be fulfilled. Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Because remember, he was above the angels. He's God. Jesus is God. Father, Son, Spirit. Son is above angels. So he lowered himself below, right? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. The author clarifies the son of man that he's discussing about, all of this information here that he's been discussing is Jesus. He puts that link in there, not leaving it up for interpretation, not leaving it up there for people to say, I think maybe. No, he just flat out says, this is Jesus, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Oh, what was verse seven that he's quoting from Psalm eight? Crowned him with Glory and honor. Okay, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He took that burden, he took that shame, he took that for everyone. To defeat death, one must suffer death. And Jesus paid that for everyone who believes at the cross. See, the son, God from the beginning, lowered himself below the angels to conquer death and to then raise back above the angels and bringing the church with him to that status. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Who though, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and under the earth. That means right there, pause for a second. That means all of the spiritual realm, both sides. Okay, we would see Sheol or the pit or something like that. Anything that has association with death. Okay, so when we see Satan, we see Satan, right, with the dominion of death, right, that, all of it, what we would consider good, angels, bad, demons, right, in general terms, right. When we see the, both elements, all of that, all of humanity, all of the creatures of the earth, all of the physical realm, all of the spiritual realm, all of it, all of it, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, which is a depiction of death. Okay, that is a depiction of death, the the underworld, right? That is the depiction of death. Every knee should bow to the name of Jesus. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist. I love that. Right there. Pulls directly from John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And through whom all things were created. Okay? Everything. Like God, Jesus, God, God, not just Jesus the man, but God, Father, Son, Spirit, okay? Created. That's the Son is the creator element. That's what we see through the scriptures. Okay? For the son. God says, "Ah." Father says, okay, you want that stuff? That's fine. We'll just do this because they're all one. It's one one entity. They want that. They want that physical. Okay. Want it? So go ahead and create it. They create it. Make that. I'm saying they is a, a single God. I know it's the three persons, the three entities, the three parts of one God. It's really confusing. How do we describe this? It's nearly impossible to describe it, right? So just understand I'm talking about God. I say them, they, them. I'm talking about one God, but the three parts Father, Son, Spirit. Okay. Create it. You want that? Okay. Let's create it. And they create. And it was created for them, it's created for God. God created for himself, right? By whom and for whom all things exist. And bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through Suffering. Now, bringing sons here—it actually could easily just say sons and daughters. There's, there's usually a reason that they stick with the sons' theme. Okay, in, in ancient world, and, and even through Judaism, in the ancient world, the the sons would get the inheritance. The sons did everything passed to the sons. So that's why when you look at different cultures, sometimes there's a bride price. There's all sorts of different things that happen. It's not because there's a lack of respect to the daughter. It's not a, I'm not wanting to give anything to my daughter. It is the daughter goes to the man because the man is what, who has everything in those cultures, right? And so when they hand the daughter off, that son will inherit everything from his father. And so they would want to make sure that the daughter goes to a good family as well, so that the daughter is taken care of, so that their grandkids are taken care of. It's not a, it's not a, we hate women. It's since everything passes to the man. We want to make sure that the daughter is taken care of by going to a man that things are going to get passed to. Okay? It's just looking at things a different direction. It's looking at things a different way. It's not a trying to look down and a belittlement of women. But just understand that when you would speak in an ancient world like this, talking about sons, it's because of the inheritance. We're also called the bride of Christ. Right? The church is called the bride of Christ because we get whatever Jesus gets. And Jesus is now the Son of God, because the Son of God, Father, Son, Spirit is in Jesus, Jesus resurrected and ascended. That's now that single entity right there. Okay. Bam! There. Okay. The bride of Christ gets what the son gets because we are with the son. We are sons and daughters of God. We have inherited into that. So it is an inheritance. Rights. That is why it is usually listed as sons and not just sons and daughters. It's not to push women down. It's not saying it's only for men. It's to show the inheritance. You get it. You get the inheritance. Okay. Bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect through suffering, not meaning that Jesus was not perfect prior to his death, because he was. It was God in the flesh. It was perfect. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He lived exactly how God would want. Exactly how God created man to live. So he was perfect prior to his death. But this is really meaning Jesus bore the brunt of the punishment, being that perfect sacrifice. Being the perfect sacrifice. 11 to 13. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Let's pause for a second. Sanctify means to be made holy. Jesus, God, does the sanctifying. And He does the sanctifying. And his followers are the ones being sanctified. The source is God. God is the source. And Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, and therefore brothers and sisters, because we share one father we share one father and then he goes in and starts pulling back from psalm psalm 22 it's actually the first part of this is psalm 2222 i will tell you so saying i will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation i will sing your praise let's take a look at psalm 2222 I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Well, that's all right, that's the same thing, okay? And again, 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. See, the congregation, when we look at verse 12, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The congregation here is, is the redeemed assembly after all come together in the end. That is the primary current interpretation of that. Okay, is the it is the redeemed assembly after all come together in the end. Then we also see things being pulled and talking and discussing. We start seeing like Isaiah 18, 17 to eighteen. Now you'll notice if you're if you're watching the video version, you might see on the screen I have LXX. LXX is just means the Septuagint, right? Pulling from the Greek translation for the Septuagint because. It's not necessarily direct, but pulling from the Septuagint, it's kind of like a translation of the translation, right? He's putting it in his own words. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portions in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Okay. Again. Behold, I and the children God has given me. And that also I put my trust in him, right? I will wait on the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him, put my trust in him. That's this is the the concept is pulled from Isaiah 18 to 17, 17. Wow, Isaiah 8, 17 to 18, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Man, there's a lot in that. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Okay, Jesus was flesh and blood. Let's take a look at Leviticus chapter 16, verse eight. And Aaron shall cast lots over two goats. One for the Lord, and the other lot for Zazzle. Hmm. What does that have to do with this? First John 3 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was now this Son of God is Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God. This is Jesus, not sons of God. This isn't talking about angels. This isn't talking about the church. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. The reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Well, wait a minute. What does that have to do? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one. Oh might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject. Okay, so hang on, let's go back. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Well, the power of death, if we look back through the ancient texts and the ancient understandings, power of death it, it all happened at the fall right we look at this and we had the original fall right we had the serpent who's clearly a, a, a spirit creature right someone of of probably on the council that that was there and led them to say oh you'll be like God right well I wanted to be like the most high myself I want to be like the most high so you, you God didn't say you're gonna no 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 he says you're, you're, you're gonna understand you're gonna be like God's so Just go ahead and eat the fruit, right? We had that initial rebellion, that initial fall, okay? Well, that power of death was then associated because the devil created that that situation. They fell. Death then began. There wasn't death prior to that for man. There wasn't death. And so death was then associated with, and then being the separation, because death is the separation of man from God, See, that's why if you're reading through scriptures, we're already in death. If we haven't accepted Jesus, we're already in death. But if you accept Jesus and you're a part of that, you're in life because you're in life everlasting with God because of Jesus. But if you're not, then you're already in death. You're already in that, that realm with, with Satan. You're either with the devil or you're with God, right? It's one or the other. So what is this casting lots over the two goats? Remember earlier I was talking about the scapegoat? This is literally where that comes from. That Leviticus chapter 16, verse 8, that's what that comes from. Cast lots. Aaron would cast lots over two goats. One for the Lord as the sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And the other one would be the scapegoat, That like death. That death would then be passed on to that scapegoat, which would then go out to Azazel. And Azazel is, is kind of taken as being linked in as, as the devil, as Satan. It's just kind of like another name, essentially. There's a lot of things... Tall and skinny, we can just kind of kind of go with that, right? It's another name for the demonic creature of Lord of Death. Okay, we'll just say we'll just say that for now. That's suffice for today, okay? Now then we see the fear of death and deliver all those who, through fear of death, through fear of death, were subject to a lifelong slavery. The devil uses the fear of death to enslave and entrap people. Well, you see this all the time, and this drives me bonkers today. And I, I, I know Sonny is tired of hearing me say it, and I'm sure the kids are tired of hearing me say it too. When you get this, I'll live your best life today. What? What? That literally is the world's call, and I can't stand it when I hear people in the church say this. Live your best life today. Really? Really? You're literally just telling people, go and, and live in what you want. Go and send to your heart's content. That right there is the embodiment of this verse. Through fear of death, YOLO, you only live once, do what you want. Through fear of death, we're subject to lifelong slavery. The devil created sin like that convinced man and woman to go against God because he himself wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted people to worship him instead of God. And if people are going against God, they're going with the devil. And so to live your best life today and do whatever you want today, if you choose yourself over God, you are actually worshiping the devil because you're going against God. You are aligning yourself with the devil rather than with Jesus and with God. And you are doing exactly what the devil wanted from the very beginning. The very beginning of that sin time. That's that's it. You've done it. You've aligned yourself. Congratulations, you've done it. Through fear of death, you have become a slave to that. You have become and put yourself into the path of slavery of the devil, of sin. Because you're afraid of death, you have enslaved yourself to death. It's crazy how that works, right? But it's there and it's real. This verse does actually give us some insight into the devil having at least some workings in the realm of the dead, meaning the spirit realm of the death. Not not saying like you disappear and you no longer live, but that the spirit realm, death, right? But the emphasis here is on the triumph of Jesus over the devil. 16 to 18, let's wrap this up. For surely it is not angels that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham, which just means man. It's not necessarily saying, again, because this is written to Jewish people who have accepted Jesus, it makes sense. He's talking to the Jews in the frame of the Jews, right? He's here to help the offspring of Abraham. Jesus came as a Jewish man because salvation comes through the Jews. It started there. Right? So he's here to help the offspring of Abraham, but really it's an extension of all mankind, all mankind. But he's putting this in a reference and a frame of mind that the Jews will then will understand. Okay. So the son here is superior to angels. And he says, right? Look at this. Look at this. 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, It'd have to be superior or at least equal to angels to help them. Okay. So he's not that he is superior to angels. And so, thusly, he could help them. The emphasis here is that he is here to help mankind. It's not angels that he's here to help. I mean, he's here to help the offspring of Abraham. He's here to help mankind. 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, flesh, blood, had to go through the same stuff so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is the high priest ever there. The high priest was Aaron. Aaron, when we looked back at Leviticus, who made that final sacrifice, That this was that main sacrifice, that once a year sacrifice. They had two goats. One would be sacrificed to the Lord as atonement for the sins. And you had the scapegoat that was sent off to death. Jesus is the perfect high priest priest, and he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, one who knows what it is that we go through, what he who knows what it means to be man, what kind of things we have to go through. doesn't just know it because he created us, but knows it because he's experienced it so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, the Son, became fully man in Jesus, so that God could know the plight of man completely. Now, propitiation here in the Greek, conveys the sense of putting away God's wrath meaning specifically towards sin, but it's to put away, like filing it away. It's done, it's done. Put away with God's wrath, deal it out and finish, finalized. Now, suffer and tempted for he himself has suffered when tempted. Not only did Jesus suffer at the cross, but he was fully tempted, fully tempted. You guys remember in Matthew four, you look at Matthew four, verses one to three, when then Jesus was led up by the spirit, meaning the spirit of God, right? Well, Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry after 40 minutes and and maybe 40 seconds. And the tempter, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. See, Jesus was tempted. He was fully tempted. And that was not the, the, the ending of that temptation, by the way. But Jesus was fully tempted. He knows. He didn't just suffer at the cross. He went through life completely, and he knows what it's like to be fully tempted here on earth. All right, so what can we take away from this? First of all, since Jesus is superior to the angels, it's better for us to put more focus on him and the gospel message than on how we used to do things. More on Jesus, less on proving ourselves and being good enough or even relying on other entities, whether that be real or fictitious, whether that be angels or demons, whether that be other deities, you know, false deities, things like that. It doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus. The author continues to bring imagery of angels into play to continue to show that Jesus is greater. Everything was created through and for God. And God likes to work with and through his creations, both the spiritual in nature and the physical in nature. Jesus has authority over all things, spiritual and physical. And as brothers and sisters, he grants that authority and power to us as well. We are no longer bound by fear to sin and to the works of the devil. We can and we should walk boldly, knowing that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And finally, the son lowered himself below angels to become man. He lived a perfect and sinless life and was raised and ascended, raising mankind up with him. Not all of mankind. He raised the church you want to get to the Father, no one gets to the Father except through the Son, the body of Christ. He raised the body of Christ, the church up with Him. Jesus not only bore our sins, but He went through life as we did and as we do, so that He would personally and powerfully know and understand what it is that we go through. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you. Thank you for your son, for Jesus coming and living that life for us. Thank you for your word. I ask that you open our hearts and our minds and you let this speak to us and let it touch us and impact our lives. And God, I also ask that you take this and you work in us through this and that you embolden us and empower us to go out and to do whatever it is that you're calling each one of us to do this week. We're all called to do something different. different people, different places at different times. God, I just ask that you give us the courage and the strength to go out and to do what it is that you are calling us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Hope you got something good out of this. And you know what? Hey, we will see you all next time. Have a great week. God bless. Bye-bye.